or experienced that. Thank you, Jackie, for the reading and the prayer. This morning I want to talk about our public persona and how it is shown in the New Testament. And we're going to look at a man, last week we learned his name was changed from Simon to Rock, or Peter, Petra, Cephas, all those mean the same word, Rock. And he was one of those guys that would boldly go anywhere trying to show everybody how good he was, how strong he was, how capable he was, and just take a lead even if he didn't know what he was doing. He had this idea that because of his confidence and his ability, that he could do what God wanted. That was his mindset. It makes sense, doesn't it? Makes a lot of sense. Because whenever Jesus would put an opportunity out there, like, come to me on the water, he was the one that went. When he was asked for other things, Peter was the one to volunteer. Peter wanted to be a leader in all things. And that was what he wanted other people to see of him. But inside, inside, Peter knew something. We learned it in the book of Acts. He was uneducated. He was a fisherman. He was a Galilean, which means uh, that there was no wisdom, so we say, like in Athens or the other places in, in Greek understanding for where he would have gained knowledge. So Peter was an uneducated fisherman who was trying to rise above that on his own ability. He was doing a good job except for he was doing it on his own ability. And when that happens, what we find is that God is going to show you that you can't do it without Him. That is an uncomfortable place to be. To think that you can without God and then find out you cannot. But there is truth to that statement that we have this side that we want others to see, the first impression, the Sunday morning impression that may be a little different during the week if someone knocked on your door at 6 a.m. or midnight. You probably wouldn't see your Sunday best then. Probably not. But why? Because that isn't the time of day we expect people to come around. Also, through the week, we're not here in worship trying to show others that we love God and we belong to Him. We're not in training ground, we're in proving ground. I'll say that again. On Sunday, we're in training ground. This is training ground. Outside of here, it's proving ground. Proving that we've shown God that we learned what happened here on Sunday morning. And that's not always so easy. So we wish we have like two personas. There's a part of us that that knows the right thing to do, and for an hour or two, we can do it just fine. But come temptation or struggle in life, and that part which is done on self-will and motive by looking good, will somehow fall by the wayside every time. Why? Because our chooser, our picker in our brain, has the ability to choose 10,000 things a day. And that's how many it gets. That's approximate number for everybody. You say, well, I don't make 10,000 choices a day. You have already made a couple thousand by this time. And you say, no, I I don't remember making hardly any. The first choice is which shoe first, which sock first, shower, not shower, soap, shampoo, all those are choices of what to do. And some of them are automatic, but your brain is still engaged in those. You get 10,000 of those. 
Whether you stand up or sit down, whether you take your right foot forward and the left foot next, there you go. Amen. The foot you start with, the foot you end with, how long you sit, how long you stand up, all those are choices. Whether you sing a song, whether you sing it loud, soft, you can't tell, you're not sure, all those are choices and you're not thinking about them as choices because you're just doing them. But the chooser in your brain's working. And after a while it wears out and says, I need a break. And then we go on autopilot and that's where the utter face comes in. We just don't have enough uh, ability to make more than that. And this is hardwired. It's not like you can make your brain different because you want it to be. Your self-will only works so far. After that, it wears out and you're, you're stuck. The reason I say this is because I want you to understand that Peter wanted the disciples and Jesus to think He was the one, the good guy, the leader, the one who deserved what Jesus had for His best ones. He wanted that. But inside of Him, there's always this part that was never challenged until this point. You see, the disciples are told in verse 22, He says, to the disciples and Peter, Simon, Simon. He calls him Simon. Not Peter. Simon, Simon. Mm -hmm. The devil has requested all of you, all the disciples, that you might be sifted as wheat. Not a comfortable statement, is it? All of you. Now most folks read this and they go, well that's just Peter. No, it's all of them. Mm -hmm. He says he's asked for you and that word you is plural. That he may sift you is plural, but then he says, But I have prayed for you, Peter. Now he's talking to Peter directly. That your faith shall not fail, and when you've come back to me, or returned to me, or been converted, you will strengthen your brothers. You will help them. You will, you will help them come back as well. You see, all of them are going to be scattered, all of them are going to leave. But Peter's the one who specifically requested and Peter needed Jesus' prayers. This was Simon that he spoke to, the one that wasn't the rock. You see, this is what's neat. Last week we learned that Jesus gives us a new name. Amen. Simon's new name is Peter. But he's talking to Simon, the old man inside of him. And he's saying, Simon, you, the old man, are going to get sifted. So that all is left and all this is said and done is Peter. But the devil is trying to sift the Peter part out and leave just Simon. And he says, I'm praying for you because when you come back, your faith shall not have failed. Not you will not have failed, but your faith will not have failed. Job, remember the book of Job where Satan, if it specifically says, I can get him to fall, I can get him to break. And God says to the devil, do anything you want but kill him. Well, what does he do? Job loses his family, his health, his money, his uh, farm. All he has left is sickness unto death that doesn't kill him and some ornery, annoying friends who won't shut up. Yes. 
Last thing you need when you're sick and dying is people to tell you how, how you're messed up you are. But Satan was limited in that he couldn't kill Job. Now Satan was limited in what he could do to Peter because of one reason, or to Simon in Peter, because Jesus was praying for him. But the problem is that Simon and Peter have this conflict. We all have it. The part of us that wants God and the part of us that wants self. And when you begin to go through trials and tribulations, you see how much of which one's winning. Your true character and its influence comes out. Now you say, well, Peter was sifted. Where'd that happen? It'll happen in Matthew 26. I think you'll appreciate this sifting. And the, the sifting is described in Revelation chapter 12. And I want, I want you to hear this because the devil has asked for Peter. And in Revelation 12, we find the following words. I think I have them on the screen for you too. Yeah, verses 9 and 10. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. Now you know who we're talking about, the devil, who deceives the whole world. And he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Now look, listen to verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren. The accuser of our brethren is the death. It's just referring to that previous verse of who he's talking about. The accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Day and night, Satan is accusing us to the Father of all these different things. And you say, oh, that's not good. Well, what's worse is what Peter's accusations were. And you say, oh, there must have been some pretty bad stuff. Well, this sifting is horrible. And I'll tell you why. It's because he was accused of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Now Simon is going to go, oh, I better stay alive. But Peter, the rock's going to say, I'll die with him. Amen. Which one wins? Let's look. Matthew 26, 69. Peter sat outside in the courtyard. This is after they have arrested Jesus. And a servant girl comes to him saying, you were also with Jesus of Galilee. Tell me this. If someone asked you if you believe in Jesus right now, would you say yes? What about if you got a gun against your head? You say you believe in Jesus, I'm pulling the trigger. We're still going to say we'll say yes. But in the moment, you don't know. In that moment, you don't know if your family's standing there or if they're holding a gun against your family, you're going to still say yes. You don't know until that moment happens in your character. And this is what was happening with Peter. And he denied it saying, I do not know what you are saying. In, in Luke um, and in Mark, he says, I do not know the man. I don't know him. But... He just said, I will die with you. I will never stop following you. I'll go to prison for you. I'll, I'll go to death for you. 
Do you understand how bold and brave that sounds? And how much he's trying to show Jesus he wants to be the man? Until you can be the man who's been broken before God and no longer the man, but the follower of God, the servant, the one who knows what it costs, you're going to deny him. And he gone out to the gateway. This is verse 71. Another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. Ah, oh, I'm connected with Jesus. Is that what he said? I love that man. Jesus is on trial. The next person to acknowledge him is getting pulled in with him. That's what he thinks. And again, he denied with an oath. Mm-hmm. Saying, I swear before God, before man, before this temple, before all things, I do not know this man. How quickly six hours can change a man's declaration? Isn't it true? Fear bigger than faith. Because his faith was unproven. He had walked on water with Jesus and he still didn't know who he was. Why? Because Jesus seems like this person out there and I'm right here and because he's out there about to be crucified and I'm right here, my life needs to go on. Until Jesus Christ becomes in here, you will always deny Him when He's out there. He has to be a true reality residing inside of you before you won't deny Him in all situations. A little later, those who stood by, verse 73, came up and said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for your speech betrays you. By one of them, he means a Galilean. He talks different than the Greeks. He talks uneducated. And Peter curses, swearing, saying, I do not know this man. I do not know Jesus. He wasn't lying. He wanted to know Him. His brain said it's a good idea, it's a powerful thing. And and his self-will says, I want to show people how much I love Jesus when Jesus is around, but, but I can't do it when He's not. And Luke records as soon as he says that, a rooster crows and Jesus looks at him. And immediately Peter knows what's happened. And he remembers the word of Jesus who said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. What just happened? Do you see a sifting? All the good that's in Peter should be Jesus, but Peter just pushed Jesus out. Sifted Him right out, didn't He? That's what Satan does. He sifts Jesus out of the equation. Oh, I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to make people offended. I don't want to get in... You know, in consequences by doing this at my job or whatever. Therefore, I am going to be self-protective. It's what we do. It is a good thing to be called one with Jesus when you are one with Jesus. It's a fantastic thing for a believer to hear, I see Jesus in you. 
When I see you, I see God. I see the light of God all over you. You are a believer. You're one of the disciples of God. I know you are. And then in certain crowds we go, I am, but I can't say anything. I can't do anything for fear. And that's where Peter was. And this is where the sifting happened for him. How long does the sifting last when it happens? Until it's done its work. Now I promise you, when Satan is requested to sift you like wheat, there is a limit. He can only go so far. And with each of us, it's different. With Peter, it was to the point not of death or of destruction, but that Peter's faith would be tested and proven failing. His faith failed him. Peter's true character was showing. And he learned in that moment how much his word meant. Nothing. Not a thing. Worth nothing. Why does God ask us to go through this process? The sifting. He wants to refine us like gold, silver. It's refined before it has good use. You can't take it out of the ground and just start using it. It's dirty. God wants to heal us in our spirit, in our mind. He also wants to purify you. That your thoughts would be holy. He wants to sanctify you, which means set you apart for His purposes. But if your purposes keep getting in the way, that's not going to work. He wants to solidify you. That means to make you solid on the truth of Jesus Christ, on the solid rock we've talked about. Why? So He can strengthen you to help others. And some of us might be going, well, I don't know that I just want to go out and help people. <laughs> then you need some sifting. Amen. Because there's a part of you that doesn't want to do what God asks you to do, which is love one another. Oh, but I can't because you know they're different. <laughs> they annoy me. They take advantage of people. I can't love them. Jesus never gave criteria. He said love one another. Not love one another except love one another. That's it. It's the only command He ever gave us was love one another. But we find reasons not to. Why? Because Simon in us isn't dead. And until it's not dead, God is going to let Satan sift us. And it's a very painful process. There are three levels of sifting. Those are the fill in the blanks in your bulletin. The first one is quick. Some folks like the quick and easy, but this isn't so easy. It's just quick. Uh, if you might say, well, what do you mean? Because Peter had a quick sifting. <laughs> I mean, right after he put out his faith, it got sifted real quick. But I'm talking about, it, this one takes you to task on your faith, your ideals, and your assumptions about God, self, and the world, and other people. Here's the thing that you would hear Jesus say, you believe in me, but your attitudes, your words, etc. reflect that. 
So he's going to show you your attitude by showing you what you're not so thankful for in your life. Mm-hmm. And ask yeah. you if what you want in your life is what you're thankful for, but not showing it or not. How do you become grateful for something? You lose it. Oh, if I'd have known how important that was to me, I'd have held on to it better. I'd have protected it. If I'd have known that my child would have uh, been so far off and I was so angry, I wouldn't have done what I'd done and said what I said. I would have been more generous, more kind. I don't have that opportunity now. I wish, I wish, I wish. I was so grateful for my child, I just didn't know it. What we lose is what we become grateful for if it had any value to us. That's the kind of sifting that's quick. It's not comfortable, but it shows us our attitudes. And our words can hurt others. Our attitudes hurt others. Have you checked your attitude and your words lately with God? Have you hurt people by your words and attitudes? By the things you think or say to others? Have you blessed them and lifted them up and encouraged them? Or have you torn down and said, eh, whatever, I don't care, I just want to do this and go home. Church is not about doing this and going home. Church is about doing this and loving God and others and doing it better. With God's help, because we can't do it on our own. We don't have a prescription for salvation. Jesus does. He is the doctor. So the second one, that's the quick one. The second one is mild. The quick one was quick. Just shows you your true nature. The quick one uh, is, the second one, mild. That's when you have idols or secret sins. And you don't want to let go of them. So Jesus exposes them. How would you like the stuff you don't want anybody to see you do or know that you've done on the front page of the news? You like it? No! And everything you do will be scrutinized every time based on that. And Jesus is saying in this quick... Uh, not necessarily quick, but a mild sifting. Do you love me more than that? Do you love me more than your family? Do you really? Do you? Because He can expose to you the depth of love for Him by showing you the depth of love you have for others as contrasted. And this is a mild sifting because all of a sudden the things that you're hiding or the love that you profess for God is shown in light of the things that you say are not important that you're still doing. Oh, I can quit anytime. You know how many times I've heard that phrase of someone who's trying to give up an unhealthy habit? I can quit anytime. Well, anytime would have been yesterday. Why do you want to be unhealthy today if you can quit anytime? The truth is we can't quit any time an unhealthy habit unless we lay at the feet of Jesus. Here's how this works. Scripture tells us this. We can lay it on the, stone, the cornerstone and let it be a sacrifice to Jesus or we can let it fall on us. Amen. It says either the cornerstone is going to land on us and crush us or we're going to lay it on the cornerstone which is Jesus Christ and let it be healed. One is judgment. One is freedom. So the mild... Sifting is when you say to God, oh, I see what you're trying to show me that this is not blessing anybody. It's definitely not pleasing to you. I'm going to bring it to you so you don't have to bring it to the world. 
Scripture says, what you do in quiet will be shouted from the mountaintops and rooftops. Do you want that? If it's done in integrity before God, you certainly don't mind. But if you go, oh, no, 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 not all of it, no, 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 you're going to go through some mild sifting until you let go of that junk. Amen. You're going to. Satan's going to request you. Jesus is going to go, well, he didn't want me. I guess he wants you. Let's see who he really wants. That's the mild. But then the third kind comes along, and this is tough. It's called deep. Deep sifting. This is what Peter had to go through. And a lot of people go through this, but not everybody. It purges the old self, the Simon out of Peter, so that he can be the Peter in Peter. It's for special work, specific tasks, if you will. It can be to move you from a place of comfort to a place of discomfort because you're honoring God by doing so. But that process of deciding whether or not this is really what you're willing to surrender to God, that goes deep. Because there's some things that are very valuable to us that are very valuable to each one of us that we don't want to let go. We want to hang on. And God's saying... This is going to destroy you. Not the thing, but that you honor it more than you do God. And what was Peter's main problem? He didn't know Jesus. He didn't know He was with him three years. Saw him feed 5,000, calmed the wind and the waves, called him Christ, the Son of the living God, was confirmed as saying that the Holy Spirit through the Heavenly Father revealed that to him, and that he was a rock, solid, yet he did not know Jesus. How is that possible? How is it possible it's true for us? The question that we get stuck in and mired in in this deep sifting is, do you really know Jesus? Do you really live for Him? Do you really surrender, sacrifice, and give all? Or are you just saying that? Because when you say it and don't do it, the sifting will happen on those lines. God will not be mocked. He is a jealous God. He loves His family. And He wants His family to know He is above all things. In loyalty, in truth, and where that's not true, He's going to let Satan meddle until you make the final choice. Yes, God. No, not God. Satan will request you. If he hasn't done so, previously, presently, he will. He requests us all. He asks the Father to let him sift us. Thank God that Jesus knows. Why? Because he knows that this is going to cause a struggle. If you're not going through a struggle, you're not being sifted. I'll promise you that. 
If you're going through a struggle, it's possible. Because when Satan starts to sift, he knows how to mess your mind, mess your heart and your faith and make you go, I don't know if I believe anymore. I talked about that a few weeks ago, being a skeptic. I was getting sifted. But when I came back and God showed me, I was stronger. And I was able to share that experience with you. But I had to go through that because Satan apparently had sifted me in that moment. And Jesus was praying. And I did struggle. And I'm thankful He prayed to the Father that He is the interceder and He is an advocate and He is our friend closer than a brother. Jesus knows what He's doing. And I'm so thankful that He knows what He's doing because if He didn't, I wouldn't have a chance. And neither would you. And what He says is that this sifting has a purpose. And I want you to hear what He tells Peter. I think this is so important. He says in that uh, 32nd verse, I believe it is, when you have returned to Me. The word there for return is the same word as repented. You see, you can walk along with Jesus and then deny Him in a moment. Or you can deny Him with some of what you believe. And then you begin to see the ramifications of your own denial and your blindness to what you've been portraying as faith was not faith. And all of a sudden you say, God, forgive me! I thought I was doing something, but I was actually mean and cruel to people and I thought I was trying to support and defend and protect and here I was, I was ruining things. Forgive me. Forgive me. I repent and come back to you. Please, welcome me home. And Jesus says, when you have returned, Peter leaves Jesus. Three times he denies Him that he knows Him. Cursing, swearing, promising before God that he doesn't know who Jesus is. Unfortunately, Simon does not, and Peter isn't big enough to say yes. It says, when you've returned, I love that so much. You know, I've been on the turning 180 for a long time, probably the rest of my life. I'll be talking about how we return from self to God. 180. The B180 was all about that. For two years we spent on that sermon series because it was important. Still is. When you have turned back to me, hear this. You can walk away from Jesus a million times, but the million times you can come back too. I'm not suggesting it, but there are parts of us that have never fully lined up with the will of God. And those need surrendered before Him. Because that's the lines on which you get sifted on, and they're not comfortable. Jesus did not set Peter up for failure. He said, you're going to deny me three times, and when you come back, strengthen your brothers. Why would He tell him this? Is He saying, Peter, you're going to mess up because you always do, and I know you will, and then someday come back? No, it's not why He's saying that. He's saying that we all have times in our lives when we aren't sure. 
Jesus knew Peter would deny him. He said it very clearly. You will deny me three times before the cock crows twice. He foretold it. He didn't condemn him for it. He said, this is going to happen. This is who you are. You are Simon. And until you're no longer Simon, you're not Peter. And that's why Jesus prayed for him. And what did He pray? What do you think Jesus prayed? In John 17, He prays this, Father, let them be one even as you and I are one. Keep them safe from the world. I think He prayed and said, Heavenly Father, Peter's going to reject your son. Me. And I don't want you to hold this against him. Because I love him. And he still needs to know that he isn't all the way where he needs to be yet. And this is part of the process. So have some mercy on the man. Give him some grace. And he's going to come back. I know he is, Father. And when he does, he's going to do a great work for you, for the church. I know he is. So don't condemn him because he says he doesn't know me. And when he swears by your name, Heavenly Father, that he does not know me, don't listen. He doesn't know what he's doing. He hasn't yet known me. I love when Peter comes back on the shore of Galilee that he never leaves again. Mm-hmm. Never. Totally about Jesus after that. That's right. Totally. Now maybe you have recognized that you're getting sifted. Feels like you're in a hot crucible and it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter and you have no place to go but into the fire. The work of the sifting in the crucible is to change you, to heal you, to purify you, to do all those things that will refine you and be a vessel of God's honor. And that may feel like you're struggling, like things aren't working out, like life has dealt you a bad set of cards, like things won't ever seem to get better. This is the sifting. You might say, but when will it end? I've surrendered. I don't know what else to do. What can I do at this moment? What options do I have? And the fact of the matter is, you have one. If you want the sifting in quicker, that's complete surrender on Jesus' terms. And let your mind and your life be transformed. By the renewing of your mind. Because here's what's happening. You feel like you're being condemned when the struggle happens. God, don't you care? What's wrong with me? Don't you listen to my prayers? And you're thinking that God is upset with you, angry, or has ignored you. God has not. 
God has never condemned you. There is no condemnation when you belong to Christ Jesus. That was our call to worship this morning. There is no condemnation for you now in Christ. Anything that God does to make you a better person is through conviction. That what you are doing isn't pleasing to Him. Condemnation says you are bad. Conviction says God can make me better. The accuser is the devil, as we learned in Revelation, and he is strong. So strong. And he's relentless. Strength I can handle, the relentless, that gets me because he just doesn't quit. Just won't stop. But he's been defeated. Jesus Christ defeated sin and death on Calvary. The enemy, the devil, the accuser has been defeated. Your accusations that he's been railing about you are gone. He can't accuse you to the Father anymore because you're in Christ Jesus. And when He says, look what this person did, God flips open the book of stuff you've done and says, it's not recorded here. Don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Only the accuser condemns you. Nobody else. I want you to hear that real carefully. If you feel condemned... Judged, it is not from God or somebody who loves you. Even if it's the committee or the voice in your head. Why? Because this life's tough enough without being sifted. We need encouragement, uplifted and supported. And that's what God has come to do through Jesus Christ. To give us a comforter through the Holy Spirit. Encouragement through the brethren in the church. And our job is to lift each other up and encourage each other. Life's tough enough without having someone else who's supposed to love us hurt us. And so it goes like this. Jesus meets with the disciples. This is the same night that He's telling this to Peter, by the way. Mm-hmm. You know this, right? Yep. And He meets with the disciples in the upper room. He grabs the loaf of bread, breaks it, and He says, I've been broken for you mm-hmm. to bear your condemnation. Amen. And when you eat this, remember, I've done that for you, so you don't have to let that happen to you anymore. I bore your condemnation. The accuser now puts your accusations on me and not on you. You don't have to wear that stuff. Those outfits, those clothes, if you want to call it that, that junk, those noisy voices that tell you you're not smart enough, you're not good enough, you're incapable, are not God. They're the accuser. He's trying to sift you to make you believe you're not what God said. He's trying to weed God out and the old you back in. So He's trying to show you the old you. This is who you are. You are not. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 All things are new. Oh, but you don't understand. You know, i got these thoughts and these things. I don't care what you say. That's an accusation. 
and not the truth. So likewise, after the supper, it wasn't enough for Him to just show the body broken. He had to show something very, very special to us. And maybe this morning you'll grasp all of this in a little different way. He took the cup and gave thanks to the Father and said, this is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. It's a new covenant. It's a new agreement. But my blood has covered it all and you don't have to. There is no condemnation because of my blood poured out. When you enter into this relationship with Jesus Christ, the condemnation falls on Him and the freedom falls on you. You don't have to put up with the mess from the accuser. As a matter of fact, entertaining any of it is just saying you want to agree with a lie. And that's when you get sifted. Sometimes we sift ourselves. But I pray this morning that when you come to receive communion, you agree with Jesus Christ that it's done. That you don't have to live under that burden anymore. And you can be free from that. I hope you like the name of the sermon that helps you understand. Satan has asked for you. He's requested you. But you know what? Jesus got you first. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, ask you to pour out your spirit upon us gathered here and upon a group of the fruit of the grape and bread that would be for us, your body and the blood of your Son, that we would be the body of Christ in the world. Thank you so much for your grace here, for the mystery of the faith that says you died, you rose, and you will come again. You are here. You are with us. We have your advocacy with us now and always. We do not have to live as people of a burden. People who are mean-spirited and cruel and poor attitude will get us their junk all enough. We don't need to do it to ourselves or let anybody else do it anymore. So Heavenly Father, we stand on the solid rock this morning. We say, I belong to your Son, Jesus. I am His, and I am His forever. Nothing the enemy can do or say will ever, ever be able to change that. Thank you for that, Heavenly Father. Remind us of that as we commune with you. Amen. As we get ready for communion...